are recording with Colonel Viewer on, excuse me, Monday, June 26, 2023, at 2.08 p.m. Eastern Time. Author of Ghosts of Baghdad, and that the link to that book will be in the description. And uh, yeah, man, you've got quite the uh, the uh, the hair raising uh, career of uh, giving me the ass pucker factor, and I've never even been in a helicopter in my life. And um, but with that, Colonel, could you please introduce yourself while I post the live link? Tommy, thanks for having me, uh, Eric Buer, uh, retired Marine, and uh, living here in uh, lovely Pensacola, Florida now. Um, so as I post this, but, uh, are there any things that you like want to fly that you never got close to flying? I mean, obviously there's, there's classified shit like, you know, what was it? The, I guess the stealth black hop, uh, black hop, excuse me, black, uh, black hawk used during, uh, operation Neptune spear or something like the new, I think it's the Sikorsky Boeing defiant. I mean, are there, are there things that kind of make you, make you drool, make you mouth water? You know, there are, um, there's a lot of platforms I like to get one hop in just because, uh, just because, you know, you're like, wow, that's pretty cool. Um, I've had a chance to fly in some pretty neat platforms. Um, but I, you know, I, you know, I, I, I've got my, my dance date, you know, so I'm going to dance with her. So she was, she was my favorite. So, you know, I'd love to fly a little bit of everything, but you kind of fall in love with your machine and, and that's that. Now, how, how how do you come back down from from a career like that in terms of just like every everyday life? And you know, I never I never served. I've I've shot a gun maybe ten times in my life, so I can only relate with the experiences I have. But you know, in, in college, I was I was a pre med student, and I got into medical school, and it was like the most exhilarating journey of my life trying to get in. Just the competition, the ruthlessness. And I remember when I got in, I didn't know what to do. I was a dog that finally caught the car, and I was like, "This is, this is, this, I don't like this." And I and then I decided not to go, and I didn't have any goals for a while. My life kind of collapsed on itself. And starting this podcast a couple of years ago, despite the constant stress and panic attacks, and again, cutthroatedness, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for anything because it's like an electric current every single day. I swear it is almost like a biblical fashion. It is like the genesis of life just to wait. You know, today could be a rainy Monday in Maine or it's another day where it's like, I've got four interviews today. Like, how am I going to knock them out of the park? How am I going to get that much better today? If I didn't have this constant thing, I mean, I would imagine I would degrade into just drinking every day. So, So how do you come back down from a life that most people get to observe through movies or video games, but you actually got to live. Yeah. You know, in my case, I I don't, there's no, there's no replacing that. At some point you just have to accept it. Um, It's easy to accept it when you tell yourself it's a young man's game because it's a young man's game. Um, But when I was doing, you know, these, this tour, which I write about and in subsequent follow-ons, I wasn't necessarily a young man. I was, you know, late thirties and, but you feel like you know you can do everything physically, mentally, emotionally, intellectually. You're pretty you're pretty peaked um, on a military side. Um, yeah, there's a, there's certainly a letdown. Um, and I've started. Yeah, I turned to business. I worked for big Fortune 500 that, that had mixed reviews. Um, I've started a couple of companies with partners. Um, they've had mixed reviews. Um, still going in, in certain ways. Um, so no, it's a journey. There's really it's hard to really replicate you know, the challenges of uh, military aviation. Um, so I don't, I don't think there's any way you fill that. It just kind of sits there and you, and you do other things. So you just kind of pass the time then. Well, no, you work, you got yeah. full days, you do things. And, you know, my, you know, as your kids get older, I got kids and they, they got the things they need to do and they're, they're you know, graduating from college and there's other important things in your life. I just don't, I don't, I don't sit around very often and, and, and reminisce, um, you know, I, I talked to old friends, which is great, um, which is one of the great things about this book. I, you know, I had hundreds of hours of interviews and uh, actually I had a group back uh, back here in Pensacola, about eight of us uh, from a different deployment. We, we showed up at my house last couple weekends ago now and it was great. You know, it's like time just froze. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the great thing about interviews, the great thing about this book was reconnecting with people, just sitting down and talking about this and getting their perspectives and 
like, no, I, I didn't see it that way. I saw it this way. And, and so that's another thing I made sure I did. I captured, I captured a lot of perspectives and, you know, this isn't my story. It's their story. Just, it's just told through my mouthpiece and my lens, but it's their story. So that was incredibly rewarding. And so writing has become very rewarding for me. So if I had to say there's going to be a next passion, um, it's, it's what I'm doing right now with the writing. Interesting. Um, and you know, one of the more delightful yet humbling experiences, of the, I never know if it's, if I enjoy it or if it's just some weird form of Stockholm syndrome where I've just like grown to like enjoy the abuse. Like early on, nobody likes to be told they're wrong. Nobody likes that, that dawning realization that you're wrong and that you've been making an incorrect argument. Santa is real. The world is flat. And then you, you know, you start to sober up and you're like, Oh shit, what am I arguing about? But through repetition and through hundreds of these episodes, I've actually come to enjoy it. I've, I've come to enjoy being proven wrong because there's no taking it back. It's on video. It's live. There's no taking back like the flushing of the face where you're like, oh, shit. But then you kind of get closer and closer to the truth and through repetition and almost through building up a tolerance or a callus or, yeah, a, a callus, if you will, much, much like weightlifting to it, you, you start to appreciate being wrong. And so... You know, if I interview a doctor or, a, you know, a special forces operator and I throw out an idea and they immediately shoot it down. Now I enjoy that because I, I feel like I'm getting closer to the truth of whatever the truth is of whatever this reality is, this life here on Earth, whatever it is. So with that and then also, you know, in light of what we're seeing right now in Ukraine, with Russia and Every loss of life is obviously unbearable. Do you think that there is, you know, on one hand, you have the technological unstoppability of time. We are moving towards more drone centric, either entirely or, you know, partially unmanned platforms. On one hand, from, you know, the simple, and this is where I'm teeing myself up to being correct. We have the simplistic civilian who looks at it and goes drones all the way. You know, you don't every funeral that people don't have to attend is a plus. And you could also argue philosophically that makes war more palatable, which is itself bad. As Colonel, uh, uh, excuse, not Colonel, excuse me, Curtis LeMay said, you know, war should be absolutely unpalatable. You should use excessive force so that no one wants it to ever happen again. How do you view things like the advent and the increasing uh, percentage use of of drones, specifically in air power. Yeah, I love a good Curtis. You know, what would Kurt do? Good Kurt LeMay quote. He, he, he would nu he would nuke them and then go to bed. <laughs> and have a stogie in his mouth. Yeah, hydrogen um, bombs on foreheads. Go to bed, you commie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you know, it's just the evolving kind of character of war. You know, I think the nature of war is 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 it's it's pretty resolute i mean it's just a battle of wills and it's how you it's the character of war that's going to change things um, someone's just phone blanked up to my you're good you're good there we go um so I had a lot of experience with the OAS, particularly in Afghanistan. Uh, and you see Title 10, Title, you know, Title 50, mm -hmm. you know, when you see everyone using UASs. Um, I mean, it's it's very indiscriminate. Uh, it's very precise. It's very effective. Could you, sorry, could uh, you define UAS? Just all the unmanned aerial systems, drones. Gotcha. You know, so unmanned aerial systems, you had drones. We look at predators and reapers, you know, big drones carrying Hellfire missiles, carrying a lot of sensors, long on station time can virtually track people almost, you know, untraceably. Uh, low radar cross sections, very, very safe to fly and, and fight with. Um, and in my mind, for those type of precision missions, you're looking for one person, unfortunately, one target. Um, but when you're trying to affect the outcome of a you know, war, I just, I just a, a little think piece on, on Ukraine. And, and I think one thing the Ukraine can do now and in their future is develop you know, a very realistic and, and very robust helicopter force. And people say, oh, helicopters have been around 70 years. There is nothing like, to, just use the example of Russians. Imagine if you had 10 Blackhawks with 10 special forces teams dropped in 10 different locations, what that would do to their morale. 
Oh, yeah. Especially the Russians, very centrally, you know, they they, they very centrally uh, lead everything. Uh, conscript forces, you you strike their morale. Uh, Russian peoples knowing that there's special forces units behind them. Uh, attack helicopters, being able to go in low at night, bad weather, strike strategic nodes. And that would just demoralize them. Um, and so it's very important. And that's a very human endeavor in my mind. So, um, uh, you know, there's, there's, you know, the ethical side of it, you know, I, I, you know, we didn't bring ourselves and a lot of times folks don't bring themselves into these wars. They're just trying to find a, they're trying to find a way out. Yeah. Find a way to, you know, have some type of negotiated peace. And sometimes, you know, a political settlement is always, isn't always possible, but yeah, the uh, drones aren't going anywhere. I mean, the Russians use them now with pretty decent effective. The Ukrainians clearly use them now, but you see what the Russians do now. I, I mean, in some senses, they push their drones forward um, and they use really 1950s tubed artillery and they really rubbleize cities like it's the 1940s. Yeah. And they protect their drawbacks with sniper fire and they reconstitute. There's nothing. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just, you know, that's LeMay fighting. That's your know, really absolute destruction. And that that's not, um, it's not going to get better. Um, the Russians are not, that's as good as the Russians are going to get. Yeah. Uh, until they really, understand where they are and what they really what their end state is yeah and then the question is is like <clears throat> do you want it to get better if you want to avoid war i mean do you do you unleash total hell so that it ends as quickly as possible you know it's the you know the philosophical aspect of like does it make war more ethical that's also what you know like like you know i'm 32 years old that's something like you know i can sit in this i can sit in this apartment in maine and ask the total pussy question of like does it make war more ethical it's like no no it, it, it's all hell it's all you know that's all somebody's son somebody's daughter somebody's mom somebody's dad it doesn't make it any better and you know if i'm gonna if i'm gonna sit here on one hand and be like well makes war more ethical and or more palatable and thus it's unethical it's like we can't really make that argument because 425,000 americans died in world war ii 58,000 died in vietnam what seventy five hundred died in GWAT? Like, so are you telling me that's a bad progression? By that very logic of like every funeral is a bad thing, you would then have to say no. It is it, making it more palatable is by definition making it better. But then there's also the whole musical, not musical chairs. There's the whole maybe musical chairs esque dance around it of using drones, using precision strikes, using counterinsurgency strikes. Even that almost seems to be like these weird formalities of, you know, the Cold War was it's proxy this, it's agents on the ground that, it's what happens if they come through this pass. Well, they're going to use their tanks, we're going to use our A-10s, then they're going to use their... It all very quickly, in theory, just escalates to thermonuclear warheads from orbit. So... Yeah. might as well use the more palatable option because if it goes, it's going to go. Well, I, I, I agree with that. You know, uh, as long as, 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 as wars drag on, they certainly get more violent. They, 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 they certainly become more dehumanizing. Um, it's a lot easier to look at people without um, any face. They're faceless and they, you know, they, they need to be destroyed at, at, at kind of any cost. You know, a couple, you know, we debated this for years. I remember the, you know, command staff college, war college talking about, you know, uh, hey, do we invade mainland Japan? What would that have cost us? And, and the people, you know, it's a total war. It's a total war in t every you know, every ounce of what you the United States does for production, its people, and its power and its wealth is is designed to win this war, this global struggle. And you know, we debate: do you drop a nuclear bomb to end the war, or do you send a million soldiers and Marines into mainland Japan to essentially fight? You know, women and children, the last man standing. Yeah. And you know, where, so there's, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to it. I think the nuclear piece just becomes, it, it becomes so abhorrent because there's really no, there's no coming back from it. You know, the, the discussion right now is, you know, the, I was listening to Admiral Savaritas earlier today talking, he's talking about the, you know, the real, the real, real modern side of the Russian forces is in their strategic forces, their bomber forces, nuclear forces that are kept with the, with the best gear, in theory, some of the best leadership. Um, that is singularly the most dangerous thing. And I think they understand that too. To drop another nuclear bomb would 
it would forever change the landscape of the world. And, I mean, you you could it could it could be the end of the world as we know it. Uh, but that's not trying to use you know scare tactics or fear tactics. Um, but whatever tactic you use, whether it's a, a modern tactic or what we see in the future, whether it affects cyber and um, it has to find a way to have rational debate, rational understanding. You know, there has to be some type of you know agreement that ends all these wars. There's always going to be a political agreement at some sort. Yeah, it always comes to it some way or the other. Um, some, you know, I would rather you know rush to it. Hey, I want to, you know, uh, the world's been in a persistent state of conflict for the last seventy plus years, right? It's just oh, it's a persistent state of conflict. And it's how we deal with it. Um, bigger, better, better weapons. I don't know if that's going to make things you know uh, easier, or more complex. I, I suspect it's more complex. Um, it's, you know, the nuclear option as it relates to Russia, that's their last final, you know, that's their last final vote they get. And I don't think that it would ever go there, but it's easy for me to say, I'm not on the border. I'm not, I don't live in Poland and I certainly don't live in Ukraine. I don't live in Germany. It's easy for me to say that. Um, and, you know, and, and, and good on those who are joining NATO or, or attempting to join NATO now. Um, that's the biggest, and for me, that's the biggest message telling Putin you have no ethical, no moral, no legal right. You have nothing to stay. Everything beneath you has crumbled, right? You have, there's nothing you've done. That's a war, pure war of aggression. Um, and so um, his, his thoughts and ideas of potential nuclear options are, you know, it, it's, a, it's a big bark. I just don't know that, you know, any, any dictators about regime preservation, right? They want to stay there. They don't want to go. They like what they got. It's a good deal. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't know how he's going to back himself down from this right now, but um, you know, again, time will tell on this. Yeah, there's, there's almost a with nuclear weapons. I always think of, I think it was, I think it's Eric Schlosser who wrote Command and Control, and he's he's talking about all the Broken Arrow events and the, I think the famous it was, I think it was Arkansas for like that Titan missile, the, all the, I don't know, it's a whole story. But he goes into kind of going into all the command and controls and strategic air command and, you know, first strike, decapitation strike, retail, you know, deterrence, all that good stuff. But he, he, he ends the book and it's the line that always sticks with me. And he goes like, the Cold War is over. But these silos are still out in the Midwest or wherever with the giant bulkhead doors with two people down there, each with a key. And these missiles, I think he says, like a like a giant gun, cocked and pointing towards the sky. And he goes, and they work. We have this idea, maybe not all of us, maybe not someone like yourself, but to the to the layman civilian like me, we have this idea that the Cold War is over and that everything with it just went. And you no, know, these missiles, which, I mean, have a ballistic trajectory, go into orbit. Like a shotgun explode, you know, 100, 200, 300 miles above the earth and shoot multiple independent reentry vehicles down at it's all still there. And so, you know, whereas we might say it's it's easy for us to criticize or not criticize Ukraine and or Russia because we don't live in Poland or Belarus. It's like, yeah, but that doesn't apply to nuclear weapons. I live in Maine. OK, well, if Putin uses a nuclear weapon, it will very much so affect me. It will affect you. It will affect everyone. And then you come down to I think it was Eisenhower who 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 is he was there's some minutes of him in a meeting and they're talking about rebuilding U.S. society after a nuclear strike. And there's all these plans about, well, the post office will be used to the U.S. Postal Service will be used to pick up bodies and the national parks will be used for uh, will those will be used for hunting and for gathering you know uh, uh, lumber and they're and they're talking about all this stuff and throughout all of it Eisenhower finally stands up and he goes like and this is from Garrett Graff's Raven Rock is he goes you don't understand the average man even the hardened military man will be absolutely mad truly insane in that there will be no grasping there will be no rational touch of reality it's not that this is post-world war ii europe it's like nothing will be here anymore truly nothing i mean we will be back to to bows and arrows to 
you know, the preservation of the English language isn't isn't guaranteed. The whole point of that, what I just said is, do you think there's any way for the average person to actually grasp that? And is that why we maybe see people like last year throwing around these loose, like, oh, the United States needs to do a preemptive nuclear attack or if Russia uses a tactical nuke. Here's why that might not be that bad. Do you think anyone, myself, yourself included, has any like true grasp of this is the edge of a black hole? There, th- we are going. This is the event horizon. No one knows what happens if all these things get fired. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the way. You know, uh, that's special trust and confidence. You know, in our leaders to say, God, there's rational, oh. rational thought, right? I know it's a big one, um, <laughs> but it is. But I mean, there's, it, it's, it, you, there's got to be grownups in this world to understand that it's not. You know, that's it's that constant dialogue that needs to remain, particularly in U.S. politics. Um, you just need you just need rational, sane leaders that are here to make real decisions that aren't always about whatever the next uh, social position is, whatever the next pick your pick your polarizing topic in America you want to talk about. And, you know, you and I, you're from Maine. I, you and I could sit down and I could talk to you and I could say, hey, hey, Tommy, you're from Maine. Um, you're a Pats fan. You're probably a Sox fan. You've probably been to some Sea Dogs games. You know, I hate all those teams. <laughs> Like what the hell, you know? Yeah. You know, I'm, or I can say, hey, Tommy, you know, I'm a I'm a Pats fan. I'm a I'm a big Sox fan. I get up to see the Portland Sea Dogs in the summertime, and I, I enjoy my time in Maine. Now, how easy is that, right? Yeah. I could burn a bridge in 15 seconds. It's it's what we've become. It's it's what we it's what sells. It's what buys. It's all this all this visceral, all this hate. It's just it becomes so pervasive. But I I, I don't think, and I, I tie this back to your point about uh, you know a, a nuclear option and leadership is that that's what we. That's what we pay these people to do. We pay these people to make adult decisions for the country, hmm. understand the history, where we are, who we are, what it took us to get here, and what's going to get us over this next hurdle. What's going to get us over this? Look at today. Look at the social issues that are just trying to that are trying to just tear us internally apart. And there's so much great we do every day, and there's so much great we do in this country every day, and so much of it is missing. And some of it, it's never reported, right? It's the old, no one. No one logs in a safe landing, right? They only want to know when you balled it up. And yeah. You, you crashed it on short final, and they want to critique the hell out of you. Um, but, I, you know, I, I, I the Russia piece, the nuke piece, you know, I think it's it's out there, and, and, and it's people, it's other people. It's, it's the Iranians of the world who, who may be just loose enough to try to, maybe just loose enough to get it far enough. It may be... It may be the North Koreans who can just get loose enough and just send one far enough. Yeah. But you know they're also about regime preservation. They don't they don't want to give it up. Um, they want to they want to rattle their sabers. Um, it's just how we respond to it. I think you know if we continue to respond to things, we got to respond in a very rational, practical way, not backing down on issues, not backing down on on threats. Hold people accountable for what they do. Um, I know it gets into a spinning cycle of uh, uh, bad thoughts on these, but uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I am very optimistic. I remain optimistic. People asking off me about, you know, military and social policies and these, and I, I'm in Pensacola, Florida, uh, massive Navy base here. Fort Rucker's not far away. U.S. Special Operations, U.S. Air Force Special Op. I run into young people every single day, and they're just as motivated. They're just as intelligent, just as smart, just as balanced as I ever was in my life. Hmm. And so that's always refreshing. So I, I, you know, I think we've got an incredibly bright future. Um, but we just got to find a way to refocus on it in, in a lot of ways and just, and capitalize on it and just not be dragged down by things that really are really valueless, yeah. um, but somehow find a way to gain steam and gain traction, at least, you know, exposure traction. Yeah. Yeah, the idea of like <clears throat> not being able to put aside your own ego to just go talk to someone it seems. I mean, you know, Reagan had his whole, you know, if an Ivan and a Susie met at a park or whatever, he was going on about, or you know, JFK talking about the same thing about how you have to put yourself in their shoes. It kind of is almost the great equalizer. Is this mutual assured destruction? It's because there's never a limit on what you'll do to the enemy. And that's not an opinion. That's just human history, right? There's, there's like Genghis Khan. They would, 
they would like light the bodies on fire of the dads and like throw so your father's flaming corpse would come through the ceiling. Yeah, there's no, there's real no limit on like what humans will do, unless of course it can come back at you. And on like a kind of detached, maybe nihilistic way, it is kind of hilarious that the most like peace-inducing thing is our own egos. Like I won't fire my nuke at you. Because I don't want one coming through my ceiling. It's not, it's not not funny, in that sense that peace will come, not from love of our neighbor, but from love of ourselves. But that then ties me back to the whole, to the whole drone take. It seems that we are just in 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 an eternal escalation, and we can criticize the escalation of of weaponry and and technology. But if you ever let the guard down and that you don't have a credible deterrence to the next threat, whatever it is, and they, they never stop, you discover stealth, they discover stealth. You discover hypersonics, they do. Bioweapons, they do. Chemical weapons, they do. Lasers, it, it just goes on forever. And that might be the most palatable, most ethical thing you can do is, is to keep up with other nations. I mean, and I don't really know where you go from there. That so then is we. I think we've always looked to have some kind of. You know, we don't want to fight tank on tank and jet on jet. We want asymmetric warfare, right? We always yeah. want to be able to put our strengths and our weaknesses, and and that that's one of the greatest things that this nation and I would say a, a good chunk of our NATO allies have the ability to do. Because we have this technology, we can think through this technology. We have all these freedoms of thought and idea. We cultivate them and we reward them. Um, and some say we would weaponize them, but that's that's as old as gunpowder. That's as old as the airplane. That's as old as hot air balloon. Whatever whatever piece of technologies you you find in throughout history, they're going to be find a way to use it in defense of a society, defense of a nation, defense in this case of an ideal in our country. But it's what we will do. It's what we have done. We've led. We've always led. I mean, in modern, you know, you're a biologist in modern times and we put a man on the moon. Yeah. We put a man on the moon. I mean, how do you, my God, you put a man on the moon. Um, it's unbelievable. Um, you talked about stealth technology, atomic, we, we, we've beaten the atomic side of it, but stealth technology, low observable technologies. Um, look at cyber now, all the ways that we can find ways to both protect ourselves and keep ourselves with a competitive advantage over any ally over any neighbor, right? Um, and then, and use that as responsibly as we can, um, hopefully, right? That's the whole intent is that we, we don't think we're better. I don't believe we think we're better than anybody. Uh, we just, we, you know, we we think of a different way. We, we, we're the most open and we're the most accommodating nation in the history of the world. And it's undeniable, all of our faults. But boy, oh boy, when you put us together and you focus us all, it's amazing what we've accomplished. Mm. Uh, you look at the other nations that are, you know, that are just under under some type of for, you know, whatever rule you want to look at. You look at the or another emerging partner. You look at the we talked about Russia and we talked about that. Certainly talked about the Chinese. Um, uh, they can do some amazing things, but you know, China has really one aircraft carrier that's kind of pseudo operation with cracks up and down the hole. I mean, they've had a hundred years to figure it out, right? They're, they're, they're super fighters. You see fine in, in the new Top Gun movie, right? They're, <laughs> they got about 20 of them, right? <laughs> they, they're pretty cool, uh, but they won't last the first day of the fight. And then they're going to, you know, we'll blacken the skies with F-35s and everything else this nation can bring. We don't want to, no one needs to. And I hate the, even the idea of, when we, we hear the terms pivot to the Pacific, let, let, let's let them work their hemisphere, work ours. Let's take care of our problems. You take care of your problems. And we'll see if we can find some places to work in the middle. But I, I I think it leads this country to have such a tremendous technological advantage and continue to have a technological advantage um, that we'll enjoy for you know, likely the foreseeable future. Uh, there's, I know there's naysayers out there and there's doomsayers that say we don't and we won't. But we do and we have and we can. And I would say we will. Yeah, if uh, you know, if 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 the giant flag that's been behind me for the last twelve hundred episodes doesn't give it away, I'm clearly a little biased towards this country for, as you said, for all of its faults, all of its flaws. I do tend to look at. 
I look at it more as just this like when walls fall, which way do the people run? You know, we can, you know, you have a, you have a, especially my generation, you have a bunch of ungrateful, really, I mean, just communist shitheads, but it's like, no, I mean, I have friends that have, that have emigrated from Bulgaria, from Kosovo, that have, for lack of a more formal term, dragged their balls through broken glass to get citizenship. And this isn't some 60s propaganda, this is like within the last five years. And then when you couple that with the location of this country, protected by two oceans and full of natural resources, I don't think we're ever going to get this roll of the dice again. That, again, for its flaws, a country where we elect the governance, where there are civil liberties, where there are protections down to the fact that it's like you can own a gun purely written for the fact and you know in case the government turns on you here's a gun to that's like a werewolf giving you a gun and being like if the full moon comes full moon comes out and I turn into a demon I want you to shoot me in the head you know I would be very wary of the werewolf but I'd also be like that's a guy that at least has some inkling of an idea of like I might turn on you right I guess that's how I look at the United States is we're never going to get this roll of the dice again. And because of that, I I do think that it should be protected and defended with the hand of God. And if we can, can we, can we tie that back into what you said earlier about, you know, seeing young people joining up today and they are as motivated and as dedicated as you ever were? Because I know I can. I can get very depressed when I look at my generation and I think this whole thing's going to shit. Is that just, does every generation think that? I I don't know, but I do. I think, you know, I think, you know, I thought my group, my, my, yeah. my peers, I was a 21 year old college senior. I thought I was kind of a slacker and I'm going to, Hey, this looks pretty cool. Um, well, saying you want to, uh, for me, seek a commission as an officer in the Marine Corps, that's a whole different thing. At some point I had a, you know, when, when I was 19 years old and went to officer candidate school, they quickly, it was like I stepped into a different world. It was like I stepped into a different world. Um, and I quickly realized this, this is serious business. And these are serious, serious people who really, really care. It took a while to get the, figure the care part out, right? Because they were usually, <laughs> they were usually, there was, you were usually, they were usually deep in you for something that I was, um, but you realize that those organizations, I mean, it exists. That's, you know, I, and I said, Oh my God, I got, I got to, I got to pick it up. Yeah. Um, and, and in my case, you become part of an organization that's bigger than I am, much bigger than I am. And I, you know, when I, when I learned to, again, learned about flying, I, I got an opportunity to come to flight training and, and fly that responsibility, kind of that you, you owe it, right. You owe it back. Like you've just, you've been given all these incredible benefits, right. You've been given these incredible opportunities. In my case, I got a chance to go fly, fly attack helicopters. You're, this is really cool. This is really, really, really fun. Um, but with that is this tremendous responsibility. You always know it's in the back of your head. So um, it doesn't go far. I think that's here today. I think if you walked into I know we talked, there's difficult, there's problems with recruiting. And then when you have a recruiting issue on, on some social topic, it's blown out of proportion epically. Um but I can I can guarantee there's still amazing people every day to walk in and they raise their right hand and say I want to go I want to be an infantryman I want to be an, I want to work in cyber I want to work in logistics I want to go fly a young woman comes in you see them every day here I want to go fly F-35s I want to go fly F-18s say come on let's go you know you're qualified you're, we'll train you as best we can you give it all you know we'll give you know it's it's a you know it's interesting so I, I think every generation suffers from it. I think our generation, potentially maybe your generation in particular, you know, you, you, you've grown up in a post 9-11 world mm-hmm. where the world is, is not, this nation's been in conflict your entire adult life. And so that probably, you know, with the growth of news, you know, everything, there's access to everything, information's out there. Um, but there's an amazing amount of people that every day say, this is a good friend of mine's bringing us son of the Naval Academy. You'll swear him in later this week. You know, there's 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 no shortage of tens of thousands of people applying to the service academies and other you know other commissioning sources or enlistment sources to to come in and serve our country. Um, it's just finding a way to make sure we don't 
we don't sell them short, right? Finally, we make sure they're well trained, well equipped, um, and that they're they're you know they're prepared to do the job we're going to ask them to do with the right leaders in place. Now, in terms of just like wild speculation, what do you think's you know some skunk works level stuff? What do you think's flying around out there in yeah. the Nevada be- helicopters, jets, whatever? What do, what do you th- what do you think they're they're cooking up out there? Yeah, you know that is that is something right out of a science fiction. I, I wish I knew. I mean, I wish I knew. I, you know, they, they've long snatched away my top secret clearance. Yeah. But uh, and even then, um, you have to imagine there's just uh, some amazing both man and unmanned systems being developed, um, just because. Yeah. Uh, when an SR seventy one comes out of the middle of nowhere, and then a, an F one seventeen Nighthawk comes out, and then a, a stealth bomber, and then um, you know they're doing it. You know they're yeah. just they are best and brightest out there. And uh, you talked about the uh, the ability of the 160th to, uh, to, for the Osama bin Laden raid to fly that um, exceptionally modified uh, Blackhawk or whatever they end up naming it. Um, those those types of aircraft, low observable aircraft, uh, and then both again, I said both man and unmanned. I hypersonic. I can only imagine. Yeah. Uh, I'm clearly unmanned when you're talking hypersonic speeds. Um, yeah, there's been an incredible refocus on UFOs and UFO, you know, even government-sponsored UFO organizations. When I've talked to some folks that have worked in those offices, and uh, and we've all seen the videos, uh, you know, F-18s over the water of uh, of uh, of, air, of things moving well beyond the tracking capabilities of radars. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited uh, because I I don't think they've ever let us down. I think anything they've ever done on the Skunk Works side or Skunk Works Plus or Son of Skunk Works, they've they've just been who we expected them to be. And uh, and you know, like it was in Panama, and they they you know they used the F one seventeen. Like yeah. what? What, what in God's that? name is that? That <laughs> weird insect looking diamond box. Yeah, and uh, and it worked. Yeah, I know they still got a few flying right now for whatever reasons. Uh, but yeah, it's amazing. I, I, I uh, that's a bright spot. That'll make me smile if I think about it, uh, because you know they're gonna, you know they're gonna, they're gonna do it. That's just yeah. again the beauty of our technologies, and that's why I think that puts us. You know, when you see a, I hate to compare it to a Chinese, you see a Chinese quote fifth gen fighter, and you would compare that to an F twenty two or an F thirty five. You're like, yeah, it's not gonna. Yeah, it's, it, it, it never make it to the. You know, they're not designed to come to the merge, but they. They probably that pilot wouldn't make it to his aircraft. No, oh. and the F twenty two is old now. <laughs> like <laughs> when you look at how sexy that thing is, and you're like, that's not even new. No, but it's it's oh, absolutely incredible, absolutely incredible. It's, it's, so yeah, I think uh, yeah, we talk about uh, what you know, kind of big military R and D is doing. I, I you know, I, I think we can probably rest easy. They're doing some amazing stuff. Yeah, it that 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 topic will never not make me smile like an idiot it's just like what in god's name is out there i mean the sr-71 the f-117 the b-2 the b-21 raider i mean it's it just it's got to get your brain spinning of like what in god's name is out there what are they actually making like i want to believe i want to believe it's ufos but even if it's not ufos you know the terrestrial answer is still sexy I mean, skunk works like it, it's still sexy, oh, yeah. no matter what it is. Um, do you think and I remember reading this article forever ago. I must have been in high school. I think it was popular science. And they were talking about whatever was going to replace the F-22. So this is back in like 2006. And I think the same name has been floating around. It's the PCA, the penetrating counter air, where basically it looks like an F-22 and a B-2 had a child. There's like whatever. But they're they're interviewing like the secretary of the Air Force, and he's saying that, and I can now know many years later when I would read a bunch about Curtis LeMay, and you have his love for the big chrome bombers, and then as he starts to realize just how unstoppable missiles are, you know they're they're kamikazes because there's no one on them, and you can't defend against them, and you can launch them from your own backyard with no refueling. He eventually warms up to them, and you see him. He still had his B-36s and the, you know the peacemakers, but he also had this whole missile fleet. And 
in retrospect, I can see that the Secretary of the Air Force was saying this in this 2005 article about it's like we have to understand is the Air Force is air power, and it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be an aircraft. He's like, I love the aircraft as much as anyone else, but a sixth-generation fighter might be some F-22 on steroids. A seventh-generation fighter might be a drone swarm. And in, along the lines of, like, an eighth generation could be a button you press and every plane falls out of the sky. Um, that, to me, is fascinating, is to remove... Back where you're saying about, oh, you're from Maine, you like the Red Sox, you know, fuck the Red Sox. It comes back to that ego-dropping thing, right? Where it's like, we want to believe, well, what's the next iteration of the 160th soar? What's the next iteration of the B-2? What's the B-21? Well, what's after the B-21? it might not be what we classically think of, of replacing these things. It could be air power. And that's a very loose definition. It doesn't have to be a Blackhawk. It doesn't have to be an F-35. Do you think that that's maybe something that's going on is whatever the bleeding edge R&D is, you can blink twice if the men in black show up but that it might not even be the idea of a traditional aircraft, but rather a very loose definition of air power or, you know, as the 160th would say, you know, delivering the customer, the customer being Delta Force or DevGrew. So, you know, it's, it's, I don't think there's a right answer to it. Yeah. Um, I, I think the, the Army's going, they've made a choice, right? They're going to go V-280 Valor. They're going to fly tilt rotor technology, which is relatively conventional technologies. Uh, they'll have uh, as advanced uh, survivability equipment they can put on that to to, to counter their radar cross section and their in their uh, both their, their radar cross section, their acoustics, and their in their heat signatures. They'll do whatever they can do for the foreseeable future. And that's gonna be, or that's a platform that'll fly for the next probably thirty five years. Um, so I, I think conventional. Helicopter, tilt rotor, jet aircraft aren't—they're not going anywhere. Um, manned aircraft aren't going to go anywhere for a while. But what you're, as you're talking about, what's the as the Air Force call it, their next generation air dominance or yeah, their uh, air training fighter? Yeah. Yeah. So what, what does that look like? And that goes back to your, um, you know, when you're a kid and you're looking at uh, popular mechanics and there's a drawing of someone's thought and idea. Um, that's where I, I think the beauty of the, of the Skunk Works folks are. Uh, you know, cost is always a driver um, to everything we do. You know, I, I, I don't know that technology exists right now that, um, you know, so how how unseeable does something have to be to make it relevant? Um, you know, does, you know, when is, you know, when is, you know, good, good enough? Um, I think that's what happens with technology because there's such a lag. Um, you know, I'll use the V280 as an example. Um, you know, the, that's been in production for years. It's, you know, it's 40 years of technology when you go back to um, when they've looked at pre-builds of what came, became the V-22, all the technology that's now in the V-22 uh, that we, the Marine Corps flies, Navy flies, and some allies fly, to what that technology has done and been put into now the V-280. And the V-280 has got to go to production. It's got to get full rate production. It's got to get ramped up. has to be flown. All the bugs have to be worked out of it. Engineers can't work out a bug. You know, they can do modeling simulation for a long time, but you got to fly things. You got to put them in the desert. You got to have people like me, you know, impact the ground a little bit harder than they were designed to impact <laughs> the ground to see how they, it's a very human endeavor, right? Um, and these, you know, either day, night, degraded visual environments and how they respond to it. And what's the threat doing? So the threat's going to be a big driver. Um, do, you know, do I need a billion dollar helicopter when, a, when I don't, you know, when I maybe don't need a billion dollars of the technology? That's not saying, that's not saying we should ever trade off safety and survivability of the air crews and, and those they fly with uh, ever. That's not the, the, the kind of um, trade-off I'm talking about. It's to talk about, you know, when is, you know, what's the art of possible now? Otherwise, you know, Moore's law will, will never produce a computer. We'll never produce anything. We got to stop. We're just going to wait. Let's keep developing. Yeah. Um, and again, that was some of the ideas behind F-35, right? The ideas we've talked about, you skip a generation of technologies, very common, very common debate topics along, among, you know, senior defense officials to talk about, you know, when they're pitching something, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, where it's a generation, you know, we're going to, we're going to gap a generation of technologies and we're going to jump to this next seventh. 
we don't know that technology is yet because you got to go to a sixth generation. You got to you got to you got to you got to build it. You got to feel it. You got to fight it. You got to fix it, and then you can make informed decisions of what Generation Seven looks like or whatever it is. Um, that's again, that's my opinion. I'm biased, of course. I, I flew an old school, you know, bolted iron and, and jet engine attack helicopter. So, um, but it was a damn good one, and it lasted a long time and survived in some pretty trying times. Um, so, you know, you like to think those. Uh, that same mindset is pervasive. Now, you, not for everybody, because you want you want deep thinkers, you want out of the box thinkers. Obviously, clearly, when it as it relates to technology, to what becomes in the realm of the possible. Um, I, I don't need a. Do I need a, a thousand? Do I need a hypersonic helicopter? It wouldn't be impossible. But you know, do I need a hypersonic attack helicopter platform to be over the shoulder of Marines? Um, probably not. And, and by the way, if Marines are engaged doing things, I want them to know that I'm there. Right. That's another part of it. That's a very important part of it. They're not alone. Yeah. yeah I know there's drones up there somewhere and there's maybe some hypersonic, you know, vehicles flying around. I, I just like the sound. I sometimes just like the sound of hearing a jet come by or, or a helicopter come by, letting them let me know I'm not alone. Yeah. And uh, that's that's important, too. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't. There's not the same. There's not the same kind of warm feeling of knowing that some NRO satellite's watching you from thirty thousand miles. It's like, yeah, it's all well and good. Like, where's where's the cavalry, man? If I gotta call in, if I gotta call in some danger close shit, I don't want some. Yeah. I don't want some nerd in Langley telling me like we've got our eyes on you. Like, hey, I appreciate it, man, but it doesn't that doesn't give me the warm and fuzzies? We we talk to Marines a lot, and it's the enemy understands it too. Sometimes you know that all it takes is a couple missiles uh, into yeah. their position. Yeah, they, they 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 hear that sound you and then you need to hit them. Uh, it's you know we say we we'll stick. Marines would call us. Hey, can you guys stick around? Turn some gas into noise. We'd love to. We'll yeah. absolutely stick. Do that. Yeah. Not, not a, love to. It's part of our mission. Yeah. And when you show back up again, whoever they're fighting, they hear that noise. They know bad things are coming their way. Uh, bad things can come our way too. That's fine. That's the risk. That's the inherent risk. That's the that's the job. But uh, we don't believe that. We believe we're coming there to 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 right a wrong of some sort, um, but yeah, that's uh, where technology is going. You know, technology clearly is there. The the uh, the hypersonics and the pieces we talked about. You know, I think about today's yeah, I'm biased. Today's Marine Corps, today's Army, today's Navy, and in that same force in 20 years from now, they're going to be different. Um, it'll be certainly more um, um, understanding from kind of a, a kind of a kind of a global situation not really global but the situations will continue to grow and grow and grow assets will be able to help them that are not always right there um but eventually you know uh, every mission has a a start and end date and it's not usually something soft it's usually something hard um and that requires you know the tactics it requires the it requires the equipment it requires the training uh with those men and women to go do it so it's not always going to be a you know a laser beam putting out a communications node it may be someone putting c4 on a communications node or yeah it's just the way it is yeah i i interviewed my buddy dell a lot he was the the youngest ever member of delta force and he'll always kind of shoot me down because i'll be asking him about black op shit and skunk works and he'll be like dude it always comes down to just a guy with a gun yeah. he's like uh, you can have the most high speed thermal IR coming in stealth in a wingsuit. It's like, no, nah, man, guy in an AK with sandals. Like, that's ultimately does it. He's right. Yeah. Listen to him. Yeah. Listen. <laughs> that's his job. He's yeah. a real professional. I'm a, I'm an amateur when it comes to talking about, you know, ground ops, clearly. Yeah, no, but I, mean, I think you're saying very much the similar things, though. I think, yeah, you're saying, like, hypersonic this or... No, I mean, really, it does come down to just that, yeah, the bolted chopper with, you know, a, you know, a 20 millimeter cannon on it. That's kind of, it's about all you need. Yep. How'd it go? The, the extra, the insert was okay. Com sucked. Um, things were different on the site than we thought. We had good fire support. We all got out and thanks for the hard work and heroism of Rodriguez and Jablonski and Smitty. I mean, it's just the same. It's, it's eternal. Yeah. Um, and it goes back to their training. It goes back to their equipment. They go back to their leadership. Technologies clearly play a role in supporting yeah. them. That's what's given them such an advantage for so long. Just situational awareness. Um, but yeah, I, I uh, yeah, I would never. I would always listen to your buddy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Dale, Dale's the kind of 
deal always brings me back down to earth. I was going to say, and I'll, I'll, I'll let you go. I know I've got to let you run. Would it be like the the, the pinnacle of, of helicopter piloting, or would it almost be like a put out to pasture to fly like Marine One with the president? I mean, that's got to be the apex, but it's also got to be kind of just feel like a chauffeur. Um, uh, you know, I've had some good friends go there, some really good friends go there and they loved it. Really? Uh, an incredibly good job, but it's, um, for me, that's not, that's, that's not my bag, right? That wasn't my thing, right? It's a, I'm an attack helicopter guy, yeah. true, you know, kind of that's, that's been my focus. Um, not that I don't think it's an important mission. Um, it, it certainly is in high vis. Um, and it's, it's really cool because you got to, you know, you got to be able to do fly multiple platforms. You got to get through this incredibly intense screening process. Oh, by the way, you got to be a damn good pilot. Yeah. Well, the president doesn't want you crunching something on the White House lawn. Um, but yeah, no, it's never something I really aspired to do. Uh, but, you know, friends of mine have done it. You know, they've loved it. And it's been a gateway to a lot of things career wise because clearly you're, 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 you've, you've jumped a pretty, a pretty tall, you know, pretty tall, uh, you know, fence to get in there. Yeah, it's got to be the ultimate resume patter, right? You could get a job flying if you. I think you become a billionaire helicopter pilot after that. <laughs> yeah, I flew for POTUS. Yeah, there you go, buddy. Million dollars, be Elon Musk's pilot. Yeah, it's that's probably it. That's probably it. It's like, yeah, man, it was a sick job. No, I'm just set for life now. I can. They're never turning me down for anything. Yeah, I'll fly you around. Who are you, Bezos? Whatever. Actually, Bezos got in a helicopter crash, but, um, dude, I loved having you on. If you have to excuse my. My informal interview skills, I never know when to use proper language and when not to, and I doubt I'll ever learn because I've done 1,200 episodes this way, and I imagine I'll do 1,200 more. But, guys, if you enjoyed this interview, and you should, please go into the description. Please go grab the book. It's a, it's a cheek-puckering book, and uh, if you're like me, it'll make you ha- happy that you're on the ground. But, Colonel, I'd love to have you on again, man, and thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Tommy. Uh, appreciate it. Best of your listeners. Uh, very cool. Thank you so much. Guys, thank you for watching. Please go support the good colonel. Go buy his book. It's in the description. Thank you so Recording much. Until next time, man. Thank you. Take care. Peace.